Welcome to the Spiritual Geek Out Podcast. I'm your host, Diane Hudock, where we have fun talking about the phenomenal and the fascinating. From angels to energy healing, from mystical places to mystical teachings, this is a place where we nerd out on the science of the soul. Welcome to another episode of the Spiritual Geek Out podcast. I'm your host, Diane Hudock, and I am so thrilled to have on the show today, Jackie Woodside. She is the author of the best-selling books, Calming the Chaos, A Soulful Guide to Managing Your Energy Rather Than Your Time, and Time for Change, Essential Skills for Managing the Inevitable. However, in this talk today, we will be discussing her latest book, Money Vibe, Your Financial Freedom Formula. And I felt it was an excellent book to bring onto the podcast as it is a holistic approach to finances, to understanding what it really means to be in God's supply and how you can transform your life wherever you're at in your financial world, in your life from one that is that of struggle into one that is filled with flow, sufficiency, prosperity, and true abundance. Yes, it is possible. From being homeless and couch surfing to manifesting a business with over seven figures, Jackie is going to share with great heart and clarity the essence of what a money vibe is and why it truly matters. I start off this podcast with a personal story of my own and how we all, I believe, when we're in the right state, can create and manifest great abundance. I really hope this serves you well and that you can get a lot of takeaways that you can apply in your life. Enjoy. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I appreciate it. Oh, it's so great to have you, Jackie. And I loved your book, Money Vibe, Your Financial Freedom Formula. It is a formula. I have been using it for the past about, oh, I don't know, month, month and a half. And it really rings true to me. Uh, I'm not just saying that. When I picked up your book, I thought, okay, this is something that's going to bring a lot of value to people. And it's, it's, a, it's a holistic angle to finance. And I was just talking about this on another podcast. I had a really wild experience uh, with my Coinbase that I just started with. And um, I just, you know, put in a little bit of savings and started to play with it. Nothing to write home about. But the point is, I was doing a meditation for 15 minutes and it was all on God's infinite supply. And I have this very specific affirmation that I use. And I had 15 minutes to kill. And I did this affirmation. I set my timer. And from 2 to 2.15, I did this abundance affirmation. At the end of the day, I just thought I'd randomly, randomly, huh, check my Coinbase just for fun. And essentially, between 2 and 2.15, there was a large spike on my assets margin. And I was like, what the heck is that? And we're talking mm -hmm. to the roof. And it only lasted from 2 to 2.15. The bummer is it's not in my account. So everybody listening, don't get excited. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but, and so we could say it was an internet glitch. 
It wasn't related to any particular coin. But the point is, I went from a very small, meager amount to $7 billion plus dollars in my account. Yes. And I have a clip. I have a, I have a picture of it on my phone. I kept it. Just now, what would have happened if you cashed out in that 15 minutes? Well, that's a wonderful question. And it's a question a lot of my friends were asking me. And I did a little investigation. And, um, you know, I'm a newbie at it. I'm not an active trader or anything like that, obviously. So there's Coinbase and there's Coinbase Pro. I believe, and maybe people listening can send me an email if I'm incorrect here, but uh, I believe you can only take out 10, 10 grand a day. How much you can sell per day, I don't know. Interesting. But I think it's, it, it's, it's uh, in balance with what you have in the account. So if you have hundreds of thousands in your account, that, that number might be more and they might a lot more to take out. But, but the standard is 10. So even if I had 10 billion in there, I'd only be able to take out that max. But my point is, when we talk about beliefs, we talk about our inner state. And I can't help to think that nothing is really random in a universe that is energy and vibration. Right. Did I affect the field somehow, some way, regardless of the fact that it's not there anymore, just as an input, just as a feedback mechanism on my psyche, on my consciousness, did I influence that to create a, a, a manifestation of such an enormous amount that it had to look that way by spirit so that I could stretch my imagination to the possibilities? Because, of course, if I even saw 700,000, I go, that's amazing. But it wasn't even right. that. We're talking seven plus B billion. And you go, okay, I'm thinking too small. Not that I have to go be a billionaire and not that there anything is anything bad with that either. I don't have any judgments around that. It's just, it's the stretch. It's the consciousness stretch. Mm -hmm. And of how are we perceiving our world of what's possible and what's not. Right. So. Fascinating story. I love it. Ah, uh, right. So anyway, I've talked a lot. I, I thought I'd start really jumping into your book with a quote, Jackie, that I love that you put in your book because I use it at the beginning of every mentorship I've ever done with any student. Oh, wow. And it's the same quote because I think it has such potency that I want to read it for our listeners and have to comment. And so you talk about this quote um, and, and the quote goes like this. I'm going to just read it from here, from your book. And it's from William Hutchinson Murray, which I am sure you. Yeah, sure. I know already. Yeah. Right. And it's on commitment. And he says, until one is committed, there is hesitancy, the chance to draw back concerning all acts of initiative and creation, there is one elementary, the ignorance of which kills countless ideas and splendid plans. The moment one definitely commits oneself, then providence moves too. All sorts of things occur to help one that would never otherwise have occurred. A whole stream of events issues from the decision, raising in one's favor, all manner of unforeseen incidents and meetings and material assistance, which no man could have dreamed 
would have come his way. Whatever you can do or dream you can do, begin it. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. Begin it now. And I just love this because to me, commitment is at the forefront of creating so much change, transformation, and ultimately the action that will create the future event of this transformation that we see. So I just thought I'd share that and have you comment on maybe what did you do to shift from your money state before to a state of committing? Yeah. You know, uh, I don't know. Maybe it was, maybe it was sheer desperation um, mixed in with a little inspiration. Uh, You know, my financial state before was pretty dire. I I was, uh, you know, I say one of my claims to fame and with that book is I've gone from homeless to seven figures. So uh, I was literally uh, homeless at one point in my, in my younger adulthood, Um, had no money. I, I had to buy groceries with a mobile gas credit card because you, back then you couldn't use credit cards at a grocery store. You might be too young to know that that was actually a thing, but there was a time that you could not use, you know, people didn't use credit cards at a grocery store, but you, you know, I had a mobile gas card and uh, at mobile Mart, I could buy a loaf of bread or, um, you know, some orange juice or some peanut butter enough to get me through for a few days or a week. So my, my financial state was pretty dire. And that's when I started really looking at and starting to study prosperity principles. One of the first courses that I ever took was called Prosperity Consciousness by um, Fred, Fred, I think Frederick Learman. Um, my prosperity prospers others and their prosperity prospers me. It's an uh, affirmation that he taught in that course that I still use to this day. Um, so, but commitment is a huge, huge part of it. I love that you began your mentorships that way, your, your coaching work that way, because without commitment, nothing moves. As you said earlier, everything in the universe operates through energy and vibration. And the way that you think and feel and what you believe creates the vibratory pattern that you live in. So when you up your vibe through commitment, uh, through creating a, just like, don't mess with me. I'm so clear. This is the direction I'm going in. I need to turn this around. Creating that kind of commitment, the universe responds. There, that you you create, you literally create a different vibratory pattern that you're living in, that connects at a different place of the vibratory pattern of life itself. So when you're living in scarcity and struggle and uh, insufficiency, you that's where you connect and vibratory in the vibratory pattern of life. You connect with other people, other thought patterns, other circumstances that get drawn to you that reinforce scarcity and insecurity. Mm-hmm. And when you commit to a different level, a different vibratory pattern, then you connect at that level of the energetic matrix that life is. And you bring forth those experiences. When did you get to a place where you knew consciously or you felt emotionally as a sort of walking interstate that you had wealth. I don't, I don't think I feel that way now. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Have wealth. I mean, to me that I, I relate to wealth as kind of opulence. Ah. Uh, how I feel is that I have, I have more than enough. I have an abundance. I have sufficiency. I have more than enough of everything that I need. Um, but I don't feel like I'm wealthy. Uh, 
you know, I mean, and you get into these percentages, you know, uh, am I in the top 1%, uh, you know, in, of people in the United States? I don't know, probably not, probably in the top 5% or something. And, and one could say that that is wealthy, but for my own inner definition, I mean, my inner world, you know, I have untold wealth in my inner world, but in terms of material wealth, I mean, I own three homes and uh, I guess, I guess a lot of people would say that that's, you know, a demonstration of wealth, but I, I, I guess I relate to that as opulence and I don't feel like I live an opulent life. Hmm. Well, I don't. <laughs> I'm a pretty simple person. Well, that's just a, that's an interesting answer uh, because, you know, you, you, you make a point, I think, that it's kind of like wordplay. It's just what wealth means to one person is going to be completely different to another. Because to me, wealth is both maybe all having all that you need and know, knowing that you are supported and you have the resources to live uh, with grace and ease. Right. But also all your needs are met. Right. Um, maybe you don't have everything you want per se, but that's okay. All your needs are met with grace and ease. And then you have that inner state coupled with, you have that inner state of feeling that wealth of, uh, or that support of the universe of, of God's hand at play of the divine's work guiding you and, and knowing that you're, you're supported that, you know, you are, uh, no soul is forgotten here. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, you say in your book, the most powerful thing you can do for yourself and your financial future is to realize that all inner states and conditions which create your, your vibe depend on you. Understanding this concept is crucial because results arise from actions and actions arise from states. And as we were saying, I'm sure everyone listening um, is hip, at least to some degree, uh, my audience at least, that everything is energy or to much a degree at least. But can you explain sort of off the bat here, what is a money vibe? And maybe touch upon some of the fundamentals of this paradigm, maybe the levels from survival to transcendence, and maybe what people can do to become aware of their inner state around money. I love, love, love talking about this. Thank you for asking about the model. You know, it is a model that I teach that, um, you know, that, that we have a, an energetic relationship to everything. We have an energy about money. We have an energy about our relationships. We have an energy about uh, fitness and health and food and our marriage. You know, we, we hold everything inside of a vibrational pattern. So money is no different. So I created kind of a four-level model of energetic consciousness that we all live in about many, many things. And I applied that model to money. And at the very bottom of it, what a lot of people are struggling with today is what I call survival consciousness where people are just getting by and it's so hard and, it, you know, life is difficult and it's so hard. Why bother? And, and I'm just going to sit this one out. There's just a lot of difficulty and strife and internalized belief that life isn't happening for me. It's happening to me. Right. You could right. call it victim consciousness at the, at the lowest level. Then, you know, as you grow, you know, maybe you go to therapy, you get a 12 step group. I don't know. <clears throat> you do some kind of inner work. If you grow out of that level of consciousness, you move into what I call stress consciousness, which is what, where most of our world is living today. It's just the sense of 
overwhelm and chaos because life is very hard and I have to do so much to keep up and, uh, you know, life is hard and I've got to do a lot fundamentally. Uh, and it's a, it's a belief system. It's a vibe that you live in. It's still a little bit of like life is happening to me, but I'm more enabled. I'm more empowered and acting to try to like, you know, have my impact, my say on how life is going to go. But it's still both those levels of consciousness are still really exhausting and really, really hard and really hard to be around, which is why there's a lot of anxiety, depression, addiction, overdose, suicides in the world that we're living in today. Uh, hate crimes, you know, all of the things that we see going on in our world are a reflection of the consciousness that people are living in. So I say we've got to keep kind of growing and developing our self-awareness and self-growth to get to the point of what I call transformation consciousness, which is the first level that people recognize like, huh, you know, there's something about these spiritual laws. There's something about if I change, my circumstances change. There's a recognition of as within, so without, but there's no real mastery over it. There's a recognition. There's a beginning of practice of it. There's a, there's a burgeoning belief system around it. Uh, and then again, as people continue to devote themselves to that belief, that thought, that truth, that as within, so without, you develop a level of mastery around it, which is what I call transcendent consciousness, living a transcendent life where you recognize that completely as within, so without. And in fact, there's very little without. Um, there's just a lot of me being reflected back to me in the world. Therefore, there's a commitment to being you know, loving and a sense of value of unity and oneness, unconditional love, uh, gratitude, uh, open, open heartedness, that as you live in that vibration, again, you get back to you what you are putting out. So literally life itself gets easier. And I know people can listen to that and be like, that's a bunch of bullshit, man. My life is hard. Mm -hmm. And the reason that I feel so strongly about it is because that is literally the journey I have gone on. You know, I have gone from like just getting by and homeless and domestic violence relationships and chronic depression and just a whole myriad of difficult things. And as I grew and as I changed, as I got healthier, as my faith grew, as my vibe elevated, I mean, I could tell you story after story after story of how the universe just keeps showing up to meet my faith and to meet my belief because I am now in that vibratory resonance of, you know, living a transcendent life or living that sense of oneness and unity and peace, regardless of what's happening outside and in our world. Mm -hmm. Were you like living in your car? Were you living on the street? Were you in an encampment? Like what? Yeah, what no, I was couch surfing. I was employed at the time. So it was, uh, it was about six weeks. It was over the course of the summer. Thank goodness. So I, uh, you know, like I took a week or two off and went home to my parents' place for uh, a couple of weeks, not telling them while I was there, I kind of got in touch with some friends to figure out what I could do. Uh, I, then I came back, had to go back to work and I stayed with a couple of friends for a while. So all my things were in my car, my belongings were in my car. Um, and I just kind of, you know, so I moved from friend to friend to friend for a while. I, and then I went away again, uh, uh, went and visited another family member so nobody could put two and two together uh, mm -hmm. of what was really going on with me. Um, and then I rented a sublet because I didn't have enough money for a down payment. You know, what did they call that first last and, you know, all the stuff you have to do. I didn't have any money to get myself an apartment. 
So then I, so it was probably about four weeks of, um, you know, moving around different places, four weeks in a sublet. Uh, and over those two months, I was able to save up enough money. Then I got a roommate situation. I still couldn't, didn't have enough for uh, an apartment, but I moved in and I rented a room someplace. You know, it's so interesting when you share that is that I'm just hearing such an exercise and working your creative mind. Yeah. Resourceful. Yes. Yeah. Incredible. Where you're like, even in the midst of having being homeless and couch surfing, you're like, I'm going to be really clever. I was on the heels of coming out of a domestic violence situation. So the reason I was homeless was because I had to get out Mm. a very, very difficult situation. And people at work kind of started figuring out. uh, I had an incident at work where I fell downstairs. um, Like literally I did fall downstairs at work, had to go be seen by the physician And the physician who saw me called me into his office and said, look, I've got a daughter about your age. And if someone was doing to her what I know is happening to you, I would want somebody to intervene. And so he put something on the report that had got sent back to work. And then when I was in the HR office, they saw scratches on my neck and asked about it. So uh, it was a very, very difficult and tumultuous time in my life. And I'm clear, I'm the one that was creating that. I was creating that because of my inner, you know, self-hatred and depression and my belief system that life was hard. So I was the one creating that circumstance. And over the years, as I healed, I recovered and I grew out of it. You know, I've been married now for 21 years. I'm I'm very happily married and, and all of that stuff is behind me. But that's very much why I can speak so definitively about how the universe responds. Yeah. Wow. Well, Jackie, you use this wonderful example of how our ego and its aim to, you know, keep us in the familiar, what we consider safe away from what's unknown and how it can really act as a barrier to our financial abundance. And um, you were a social worker. You mentioned this in your book, serving the critically abused children and multi-stressed families. And it's so fascinating when you talk about that when you were placing them in healthy, loving homes that almost 100% of them wanted to go back home despite the violence, the sexual abuse and whatever other horrific input was going on. And that just is such a, a potent demonstration to why, why the rich stay rich intergenerationally, I think, and the poor often remain poor or struggling. Because the people I know that have grown up with abundance as their sort of ground state, I don't see many of them with that mindset. I don't see any of them. If I think of my friends that grew up very, very, with very wealthy parents, they don't have that mindset. But those that have grown up with uh, in broken homes or uh, a single parent uh, family or, um, you know, had the experience of, of struggle and, and toil and soil and strife and you name it. it. It's taken them years to break that belief system that that, uh, you know, the universe has their back, that abundance is for everyone, that they can create it, too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that if you grow up in a, an environment that says life is hard and you got to you know, you got to either play the system or you got to work hard. You know, if you grow up in a life is hard and you're the victim 
of your circumstances or, or, or whatever, you know, it's somebody else who's doing it to you. If that's the predominant consciousness that you're exposed to, then you just, you know, children learn what they live. They, they, people, I did internalize that, mm-hmm. you know, and it wasn't until many years later, cause that was a lot of my experience, you know, of uh, physical abuse and sexual abuse and alcoholism and, you know, just a lot of turmoil and, and my family life. And um, so I internalized that and thought it was normal. So right. it wasn't until I got out and got older and saw more of the world and got more of an education and uh, that I was able to see like, whoa, you know, that wasn't so normal uh, and right. it wasn't so okay and it wasn't so healthy. And that just led me on to a really, really deep inquiry. And, and you know, the, the quality of my own life, you know, I was creating a lot of messes around me. My relationships were messy and, you know, I had my own addictions. I had my own depression and I really could see that how I was living was creating the outcomes that I was getting. And I just made a really deep level commitment that there, there is another way. I didn't know what it was, but that I would commit my life to finding it. And that was what sent me on, you know, this journey of, of really falling in love with consciousness work and self-empowerment and spiritual empowerment. I, I say that my work is fundamentally spiritual self-empowerment work. Yeah, love uh, it. And that may sound like a little bit like an oxymoron, but to me, it's one and the same, you know, spiritual yeah. empowerment is self-empowerment. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's like, who could blame us if we are drawing these violent relationships to ourselves or these um, moments of, of uh, you know, getting your couch surfing and uh, whatever the experience is for you, uh, you grew up in messy. So messy was your normal. Right. Ego was used to to a messy life. Your ego was used to feedback that yeah, you're non-deserving. So, well, what did you do to change your thinking so that it was eventually? I say eventually because I know it's a process that it became synaptically different. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, I actually just did an Instagram live on that question this week. You know, um, you know what I did to change my life and. I'll say the first thing that a lot of people don't want to hear because we're in an era right now, Diane, of like the three quick steps, you know, and the the five, you know, key fundamentals of of this and that. Well, there are no three quick anything yeah. uh, of creating sustained internal change. So the first thing I did that oh, it's not popular today, but I worked harder on myself than anybody I know. I did the work. I went to therapy. I was in 12 step groups. At one point I was like in individual therapy, couples therapy, going to 12 step, like three times a week, going to church once a week, volunteering at church once a week. And I had a sponsor meeting once a week, like my whole life became about, and I was working full time. You know, my whole life became about my recovery at one point in my life. Hmm. So that's the first thing that I, that I did was, you know, I just was really willing to work hard on myself. The second thing is I really did have a fundamental belief that I could change my life. And I think that's one of the things that people really have to look at and ask themselves, do you really believe that you can make a difference and that you can change your life? And I really did. I really believed that I could change, that I would change, and that that process would make an impact on my life. Mm. The next thing is I did is I surrounded myself with people who wanted, you know, more kind of empowered 
will, you know, wanted a better life, making their lives better rather than people that were going down the rabbit hole of, you know, addiction, violence and, and poverty. And, you know, so I changed my social set. I changed the people that I was spending time with. And that created a tremendous change for me because again, all of these things change your vibratory pattern. Yeah. And another thing I did was I just got really, really clear on what my core values are. Uh, and really made a deep level commitment to living my life in alignment with those values, not just as some kind of, um, you know, some kind of an exercise, but as something that I was really committed to at a deep level. So it was, you know, it wasn't an overnight process. Um, and then, you know, there's something I teach now that I wish I would have known then actually that's based in some really good neuroscience. And I, I call it the three C's process which is a, a process through which you can change your thinking and change your beliefs. And it, and it involves the first C is to catch it, meaning have the awareness to notice what you're thinking, particularly the disempowered thoughts, the disempowering beliefs like this sucks, life is hard, I'm never going to make it, uh, what kind of a life am I going to have? You know, those low vibe, anxious, worried thoughts, um, catch it. And the second one is challenge it. Learn how to talk back to your inner world by challenging it from your higher mind. Mm. Your mind and your brain are not the same thing. So the second one, you challenge your thinking with questions like, is that true? Is that belief going to create the life that you want to experience? Uh, is that belief going to create the future that you want to have? Um, is, is that what you want to believe? Is, does that belief or does that thought give you the feeling that you want to have? So you can just start noticing your, that your thoughts aren't true. It's just what you're thinking in the moment. Right. So, and then the third one is to change the thought into something that will empower you and create the emotional experience you want to have right now. Mm. I teach that three C's process and, you know, pretty much any place I can go where people will listen to me because it's backed in science that you can, through the magic of neuroplasticity, change your brain's function and structure to give you a better experience of life. Hmm. So I learned that later in my, in my well-being and recovery process, but look, I'm not cooked and baked. I'm still growing. <laughs> I'm still, you know, I'm still evolving in consciousness. So those are some of the things. And I still, you know, I still have a coach. I still have a therapist. I do not go to 12 step any longer. I say that I have recovered. I am recovered. The power of my, I am statement but those things are, are, are the things that I did that, and probably more as well, that's off the top of my head. But but those are the primary things that I think of that helped me to create the life that I'm living today. Beautiful. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the three C's. I was just going to ask you that and you covered that so beautifully. Yeah, to me, it, 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 it echoes so much of rational emotive therapy technique where you're rationally emoting. Is this really true? Like, how do I know that's true? Well, break it down. Is that really true? you know, with neuroplasticity and future forward thinking so that you start creating those new synapses that we're, we've been talking about. That's great. I love it that you know that stuff. And uh, and what, what kind of psychotherapy did you say that was? Well, um, RET, Rational Emotive Therapy. Oh, RET. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm familiar yeah. with that. So, and you can just kind of, I'm, I'm kind of dumbing it down. It's it's an approach yeah, yeah. to applied psychology. And uh, mm -hmm. so when I was in uh, my... Uh, master's uh, training for spiritual psychology, which to me, I consider kind of like, it's like the naturopathic approach to medicine. It's the naturopathic approach or holistic approach to the 
uh, to psychology, knowing that psyche really means spirit. So we recognize first and foremost, uh, something we've all probably heard many times in other circles that we're spirit first and then human second. We're spirit having, of course, a human experience. So everything that happens in our life from this sort of fundamental principle of spiritual psychology uh, says that we, we are spiritual beings having a human experience and everything that happens in our life is happening for the sole purpose of spiritual growth and upliftment. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and everything that happens in our life that we don't like, particularly, specifically, I should say, those things that show up in great repetition. Oh, I've gotten dumped five times, or God, I keep getting fired, or I keep going broke, or flat broke, or I've been broke, or I can't seem to, you know, I have a lot of clients and then I have no clients. And whatever the pattern is that you don't like, that's sort of a contracted state, we would call curriculum in spiritual psychology. So, in this sort of approach, we don't. Um, pull down the DSM and diagnose, um, uh, we, we come from a much ho- more holistic place. And, and your work very much um, echoes a lot of the practices and principles, actually, of spiritual psychology. Well, that's great. Well, given that I was a clinician for 30 years. Oh, so then, you, you know. Yeah, I was a clinical social worker in private practice. Uh, yeah. And did a lot of mental health management and consulting as well. So that was my field um, for many, many years before I went full time as a speaker and author and, and uh, coach. Now, that makes a lot of sense. So it's just a natural organic evolution for you here, clearly. And you're doing a great job in service, uh, Jackie. And I might add, you have a wonderful quote to that, I think, in your book from um, another man I love, jo- Jacob Needleman. And Right. He wrote that book uh, for anyone that's listening and is curious, Money and the Meaning of Life, which I think time and the soul is and he wrote a book. I I also wrote a book on time and money. So Jacob Needleman also wrote books on time and money, Uh, time and the soul and money and the meaning of life. They're both wonderful, wonderful books. Oh, thank you for that. Wonderful. And uh, I love the quote that you incorporate in your book on this point that you were just touching upon on on changing uh, our thoughts and 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 rationally and motively um, breaking things down, that he says the mind has to become convinced that the only source of its well-being is consciousness. So mm. it kind of starts there and ends there. Do, wow. Yeah, That's right. I, I mean, I know I wrote the book, so I chose <laughs> that quote, and I read his book a couple of times, but boy, that was that was awesome. I needed to hear that. <laughs> that was really good. I get that a lot of my podcast, Jack. I'll read something from someone's book and they'll say, God, I forgot I wrote that. Or, hey, that was really good. In there. Thank you. <laughs> right? Like, I know the feeling. Um, some, some of my clients will say, what did you just say? Or what did you say in that time you sent me a, a sheet on it? I, like, I have no idea. No idea. Right. <laughs> so, um, question. Do you think affirmations can work even if you don't hold the belief that it's possible? Like, do you think through the act of repetition or entrainment, you can still rewire your subconscious? Yeah. So I actually have a teaching around that that I'd love to spend a little bit of time on, if that's okay with you. Of course. So, um, you know, so I I actually think that, of course, I think affirmations are are helpful and positive uh, and that people should engage in them. However, when you when you don't believe it, 
I think it's important to clear out that energy first. So I teach a process with people called clearing exercises um, where you say the affirmative statement, um, you know, uh, all manner of good comes to me in uh, ever expanding ways, whatever, say some, some affirmation, uh, you know, God's good comes to me in ever expanding ways. And you're, you know, somewhere in your vibe, you can feel, you know, it can even be subconscious, but you can just feel, I don't believe that. So what I have people do is take a piece of paper. I like to do this in handwriting, fold it down the middle lengthwise. So you have the long way, a crease in the middle down lengthwise. And on the left-hand side, write that affirmation. You know, I'm, re I'm receiving God's good in ever-expanding ways. And then on the right-hand side, write whatever immediate reaction you have to that. And, you know, what comes up in your mind, like, oh, that's such crap. And then go back to the other side and write the affirmation again. I'm receiving God's good in ever-expanding ways. And then go to the right-hand side. And maybe it's, you know, the next thought is, gosh, I wish that were true for me. And then you go back and write it again. I'm receiving God's good in ever-expanding ways. And then you go to the right-hand side and you're like, you know, I would love that to be true for me. And if you stay with that process and really allow the flow, you know, kind of um, what is that called? Responsive writing or automatic writing, yeah. where you're not even trying to think. It's just the flow of the writing comes. You come to a point where you say all kinds, you know, all manner of like, that's crap. And I wish, or that's true for somebody else. I wish that were true for me. You know, when you, when you, I say, puke up the furball, puke up all that negative energy furball, get it all out. It's so fascinating when you stay with it, you can literally feel a shift in your energy so that then you can be like, yeah, you know, of course that can be true for me. And then you get to a place where it's just quiet because you've cleared the energy. And then I have people just write on the right-hand side. And so it is. And mm. So it's a, it's a beautiful process. And I have people do that generally two or three times over the course of a week. And then use that affirmation because then you've created the opening, the spaciousness where that affirmation can take root and take hold in your consciousness and bear good fruit. Love that. That's, that's, that's great. You know, a lot of people in the new thought world or energy world say, Oh, you know, don't, don't, you know, don't talk about the negative. Don't affirm the negative. And I say, you've got to shine the light of awareness on it because right. it's there. You know, you don't want to just deny the existence of the lower vibes that are vibratory patterns and beliefs that are in you. Just let them come out and they dissipate. Right. It's trying to repress them that it, that causes difficulty. Oh, gosh. I'm so glad you brought that up, too, Jackie, because uh, that that just sings to me. And um, people listening to this podcast know that one of the things I do in my life is a biofield practitioner and I help clear do trauma repatterning in the field, <clears throat> frequency repatterning, repatterning. And I combine a lot of my spiritual psychology work um, in it in real time uh, happening where we're doing forgiveness and all that. The negativity is there. And the, if we suppress, if we, if we don't address the suppression, if we don't address all those feelings of self-neglect or self-hate or self-attack or lack consciousness or fear yeah. consciousness or whatever happened in those moments along the timeline of life, then it's just like what gets repressed stays repressed. And, and 
And it's just like this energy that it's like, it's like a boulder in the river of life. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, we can let the water stream go around it, but wouldn't we, wouldn't, wouldn't life be more of a flow state if that boulder could be, um, I don't even want to say dissolved, but like re-educated, meaning it could be transmuted into a different state of matter where it's resource, where we can start mm-hmm. to reframe all these suppressed beliefs and, and negative beliefs that are running us, all that stuff, that the, the shadow self. And we can start to use that, transform it literally without sounding so new agey. It really is a, it is a trans, it's a process of transform, transforming it from something that is blocking us like a wall to something that is giving us fuel to propel us forward as mm-hmm. literal resource. So <laughs> I'm with you hundred percent. If we don't look at it in the eye, like in, if we're in the jungle and we see a Jaguar, you got to look at it right in the eye. I think of my cousin who does a lot of deep sea diving for lobsters and he'll come upon sharks often because he's just doing free diving in like 60 feet of water and his wife is waiting up on the boat and it's wild right and he loves it but he'll go down to the bottom of the ocean and do his thing and he says i can't tell you if you what you do when you run into when when a shark comes up to 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 meet you eye to eye it's the most incredible experience because it diminishes it dissolves all fear that ever could be in in this moment where i'm face to face with like this 10 foot hammerhead and he said but if i try to swim away from it, or I panic, or I pretend like it's not there, then he said, you know, who knows what could happen? It could come up and, and it could see me as a threat. So mm-hmm. I just see that as sort of an analogy in life where it's yeah. like that shark, that thing that you think is attacking you or just uh, could destroy you. You mm-hmm. look at it right in its face. That's so great. And you just, and, and, and what happens to the shark? What happens to my cousin? Every time he comes face to face in the dark night of the ocean, when he's down at the bottom of the ocean with face to face with a shark, the shark swims away. He wow. wins. That's a wonderful story. I love that. Yeah. You know, that's the exact same thing that happens with our energy and our thoughts and our beliefs. If you just shine the light of awareness on it, look it in the eye, it will swim away. It dissipates. And doing that writing exercise, you can, if you, if you're, you know, self-aware, you pay attention to it. You can viscerally feel your energy shift. Yeah, yeah. Do you use ideal scenes or vision boards? I do. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I've completed, uh, I think, three or four different vision boards over the last 12, 15 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I started doing them with my spouse uh, probably about 15 years ago, and. We've gone through three different ones, I, but I don't start there. I don't have people start with what's your vision. I have people start with what are what's your purpose, what are your values, and what's your mission. And right. then with that firmly in place, purpose, values, and mission, I have people ask the question, it's a spiritual process for me, 
given that this is who I am, why I'm here, what I value, how does God want to express through and as me over the next three to five years? So I don't do a whole life vision. I do a three to five year vision. And it's based on uh, a spiritual process of spiritual identity. I love that. Yeah, I, I, I love to that point how you mentioned that acquiring money for its own sake is shallow and, and empty, of course, but creating wealth to support your values is right. vibrant, exciting, fulfilling. And that can hopefully lead people to the, the big question of what is the why? Do you find mm-hmm. that that's the hardest thing with your clients? They just can't get to why. They know they want more money. They know they want more financial freedom. They know they want more prosperity, whatever it is. But they are not truly really sure what their values are or their why. You know, it's part of my money vibe method. So uh, so whether, whether or not they have difficulty with it, I teach a step-by-step methodology that helps people discern that. So creating the why to me is, is really essential in creating financial freedom. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, again, the title of my book is Creating Financial Freedom, Whether You Have Money or Not, because my definition of financial freedom is never having to worry about money, whether you have any or not. Right. So that's what true freedom is. You know, I've got clients that, that are multimillionaires that worry about money all the time. And that's no, they have no freedom. Right. You know, or feel completely tied to their companies or that, you know, their multiple companies and they've got no freedom. You know, so to me, I'm I'm really looking for people to know that freedom is an internal experience. It's not based on a certain amount of money in the bank. Can you offer a story, a sort of anecdotal story of one of your clients who went from a state of restriction and and lack to a state of freedom? Yeah, yeah, sure. Gosh, I've got so many. Um, You know, a gentleman that I was working with out of California, he was uh, working very, very hard. He owned three different businesses. Um, He was in his early 50s and uh, kind of got to the point of life where he recognized that, you know, I can I can run these businesses that are running me into the ground. But what's it all for? You know, that was really kind of he, he got to that place of if, you know, I'm 50 years old, do I want to do this forever? Um, am I ever going to think about retirement and, and, and recognizing for himself that the whole notion of retirement scared him to death? Because the only reason he started and ran companies was to make money. Mm. So, um, you know, he had acquired a, a fair amount of money through his three companies. He was a really successful businessman, but had zero sense of what it was all for. So through the, he was so funny, he was such a numbers kind of guy that he even kept spreadsheets on his um, exercise routines, his snowboarding, uh, when, when he would go snowboarding or surfing, he had spreadsheets for all of these things. Wow. And I said to him, right. I said to him like, okay, well, this is awesome. You're really clear on the quantity, but do you have any experience of joy in doing all of this? Can you talk at all to me about the quality of your experience? He couldn't answer me. He had nothing to say. It was a real breakthrough moment for us. And he recognized that why retirement scared him so much is that he had no inner identity. So over the course of the next year or so, maybe a little bit less, we worked on that, you know, the kind of that whole process that I teach around, uh, you know, he didn't engage me around money vibe. He had plenty of money. He engaged me around more of a meaning process. We worked on establishing what is life purpose, what is core values, what his mission was. Um, and he ended up being quite the local philanthropist, helped to 
fund a hospice program that, that he helps to fund and, uh, and build uh, in his community, started volunteering at his church. Uh, he started taking, he didn't have any children, but started taking one of his nieces and nephews on, you know, some exotic trip, like every quarter he was going on great trips with his family. So, and it was all really, and so he's working way less. And by, by the way, his, his uh, business, people in his business, his company employees were really happy about that because um, they were very skilled and capable of running the businesses. So he shifted from being the guy who kind of had to do it all and stressed out and in the business and on stepping on people's toes to the guy who owned three businesses that were running very, very successfully. And he was clear that he was out making a difference in the world in bigger and, and different ways. Mm, that's a great story. Yeah, joy, really. Uh, I think of Wim Hof where he says, you know, fun, joy first, and then, you know, work later. Yeah, if you're, well, no, I see, I disagree with that. So my joy is, you know, my joy is my work and, and, and other things as well. But, you know, I love the, so I don't, I don't think joy first and then work later. I think let work be your joy and have joy in all that you do. Joy is the sacred vessel container of your consciousness right. inside of which you put work and play and family and exercise and travel. And, you know, so let your consciousness of joy be the container. Yeah. In fact, I'm speaking on that tomorrow at a unity church. I'm speaking on the consciousness of joy. Well, as you say that, I I I, I want to say yes, and I totally agree with you. And because it's it's funny, like that's how I kind of took it, even though he said, and I and I'm I'm not, you know, I may be butchering his words and taking it out of context slightly, but uh, he's always saying be be joy, be joy, you know. And but that is the container, and and I agree with you. You've got to have the joy as the container that that creates the 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 great opening to the ocean of of allowing and Absolutely. and then within that inner state that that soul attribute state then you can move into a joyful expression of or action of of the work that you want to do or doing absolutely one of my favorite quotes is by um, george bernard shaw mm -hmm. um, do you know his, do you know the George Bernard Shaw quote? Uh, this is the true joy in life being recognized by, I'm sorry, being used for a purpose recognized by yourself as a mighty one, being a force of nature rather than a feverish, selfish cloud of ailments and grievances complaining that the world will not devote itself to making you happy. I'm of the opinion that my life belongs to the whole community. And as long as I live, it is my privilege to do for it whatever I can. I want to be thoroughly used up when I die. For the harder I work, the more I live. That's why it made me think of the Winhoff thing. Yeah. I rejoice in life for its own sake. Life is no brief candle to me. It's a sort of splendid torch that I've got hold of. And I want to make it burn as brightly as I can before passing it on to future generations. That's powerful. God, yeah. I haven't heard that in a long time. That's great. Wonderful, wonderful quote. And I love that. It's, I mean, I guess I love it because it resonates with my vibe. And, you know, that whole line, the harder I work, the more I live. You know, I've never worked hard a day in my life. But to me, it's like the more I can contribute to the, to the conversation that will elevate consciousness on the planet. There's nothing that lights me up more than that, than thinking about raising consciousness, creating a world where love prevails, a world that works for everyone. And my God, look around us. We've got a lot of work to do. Mm, ditto that. Well, I just want to share this with the audience that uh, this easy and an, just another strategy, really, where when we're talking about the why, you write in your book three things that they could write down and, and fill it in like a Mad Libs puzzle here. 
<laughs> sweet little puppy in the background doing his thing. So um, you say, I want more money because they can write down, I want more money because, and fill in that. Then the second step is you write down, I want more money to be able to, and fill in that. And then the third step is to, to write down, when I have more money, I will. And I just wanted to add that to the mix because it's a simple technique that if you just get clear on that, it will start creating a shift, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's because it's not about, it, the thing that's so funny about that, that statement or similar statements is the quote, more money. Yeah. Because numbers are infinite. Right. So what was more money to, you know, you and I and your listeners 10 years ago, today is now the way we live. It's our new normal. Um, so no matter how much you're earning or how much you have, there, numbers are infinite, which is why it's so important to focus on the freedom element. Financial freedom is not having to worry about money. I love one of Charles Fillmore quotes, God is my source and the consciousness of God is my supply. And that, I know that quote gives me so much comfort and peace to remember that it doesn't matter how much I need or how much, you know, uh, how much I think I want or whatever. God is my source. So my source isn't my work or, you know, my, my clients, God is my source and the consciousness of God. I mean, that's, that's worth a lot of time to think about right there. What is the consciousness of God? The right. consciousness of God is my supply. And I really devoted a lot of my life to understanding and living the vibration of that, of that quote. And the more I go into it, the more I find it to be true. So, you know, this past summer, we had a very, very difficult uh, run with my son. And, and we ended up with, uh, you know, owing like $90,000 of medical expenses for oh, wow. Their son's care. And um, and we were fine. You know, I mean, it's not like I had $90,000 just sitting in a bank waiting to be spent on unexpected, uh, you know, unexpected medical things. Oh, and our uh, our HVAC system had to be replaced and our septic lines broke and had to be repaired all in the same time frame. It was a crazy period. Thank goodness I understand money vibe. And um, I have to say it was the consciousness of God that created the supply for us to be able to figure it out and uh, and get through the whole thing without, you know, <laughs> divorce or fights or, you know, even I would say undue, undue stress. I mean, the situation, of course, was stressful, but the money was not, not because I had tons, but because I had the belief. Hmm. I'm also hearing that you just remain in the state of knowing and trusting and faith and gratitude and one of the things I have people do is sometimes just go when I see they're in a sort of a, a funk, I'll say, just go on a rampage of gratitude. Mm -hmm. Thank you, God, for, for my hands. Oh, thank you, God, for my feet. Thank you, God, for this home. Thank you, God, for my kids. Thank you, God, that I have a car. Thank you, God, that I even have a bank account. There are people that don't have bank accounts, right? Thank you, God, that I have a sweater that keeps me warm. The most simplistic, almost seemingly maybe nauseating things, but they are things worthy of gratitude because they're, they're bringing you comfort. They're supporting you. They're, they're, they're feeding you. They're nourishing you. They're protecting you. Mm -hmm. And uh, you mentioned in your book, which uh, is to no surprise that um, 
uh, there's a lot of scientific evidence that shows grateful people not only advance in their areas of career expertise, but they also earn more money mm-hmm. and are less materialistic, which I think mm-hmm. is a very significant and interesting point because um, to, to be abundant, we can be abundant. It's, it's like the guy that you were working with in his early state, he has three companies, he has all this money, but he doesn't, he has lack consciousness. He doesn't feel abundant. Right. And, and I'm not saying right. that he was materialistic, but maybe, maybe he was just attached to that outer um, expression, you know, looking at, mm-hmm. at, at pie charts and, and, and uh, you know, all his, his sheets of numbers and, and uh, you, you know, you name it. So it's, it's that the more we're, we're grateful we are actually creating the the state. We're creating the abundant state, just like I did on Coinbase for that moment. Right, right? Right, yeah. So I that, that. We can actually create and open the floodgates to more prosperity. Yes, money's part of that, but also that we are in that state of not being materialistic. We're not, and the way I hear that is that we're not attached because the right. attachment is where we get. In trouble. The attachment is where we start to spiral into suffering. So Absolutely. have all that you want, but don't don't be attached, and you will fuel that part of that that freedom quotient that I think you're exactly. talking about. Also, yeah. Also, being grateful for what you have is opening the doors for more abundance to flow in. Right. And I was saying, kind of back to what when I asked you in the beginning, do you see yourself as wealthy, or when did you see yourself become wealthy? You said, "Well, I don't really like that word because it makes me think of opulence." Whereas to someone else, wealth might mean love, or wealth mm-hmm. might be healthy relationships, or wealth might be uh, an equivalent in their consciousness as freedom or mm-hmm. something else, good mm-hmm. and bad or indifferent. Nice, nice. Is there anything you can leave uh, our listeners that will help them to get excited at the possibilities of what they can create no matter where they're at right now? Mm -hmm. Because I know a lot of people feel stuck. I know personally, and I'm sure you do as well, a lot of people that have lost their jobs during this time where companies are consolidating People are getting uh, uh, furloughed. All kinds of things are happening. Mm -hmm. And they're really, like you said in the beginning, you were really in a state of desperation, which Mm -hmm. was a big motivator for you. They're in states of desperation. And Mm -hmm. they're now at a place where they're like, I need to find a way to financial freedom. What do you, you offer to that? Yeah, no, I I mean, I guess the first thing I would say is, um, you know, test and prove, test these principles and prove them to be true in your own life. Uh, You know, they say in the 12 steps, it'll work if you work it. And I say that about these principles. It's not an overnight fix. There are no three quick steps. But taking, you know, one or two of the principles that we've talked about today, the three C's and gratitude, putting those in your life, changing your inner world, changing your thoughts, changing your beliefs, and your world will change. I'm so passionate in knowing that this is possible to change. I created a just a simple uh, 30-day challenge that I want to tell your listeners about. It's called the 30-Day Money Vibe Challenge. 
And it's a it's um, an intention experiment where you set an intention of how much unexpected income you want to bring into your life in 30 days. You set the intention and then every day you get an email from me that tells you to do a simple action, hold an intention and stay in state and affirmation. And you do that every day for 30 days in the energy of enthusiasm, excitement and expectancy, looking for that that unexpected income to come into your life. And it is an extraordinary process. The stories I could tell you about people bringing in anywhere from $500 to $100,000 over the course of those 30 days is just absolutely stunning. So I want to invite you and, and your listeners to try it, test and prove if these principles are true and how to make them true. Now, the one thing I will say before you start the intention, that the amount that you set has to be in your realm of believability. You have to believe that that is possible in your energy vibe. So if, you know, if you're not quite sure, maybe start with $50 or $500. If you feel more like, of course, hell yeah, that's, that's possible. Let's go. Then, you know, and you've got a higher money vibe. You can start with, you know, I just finished one uh, with a group. I was teaching a money vibe mastermind group and I set an uh, intention of $50,000 for the 30 days. And I have my notepad right here. It was $50,918. Wow. I love it. Yeah. That came in over the course of the month, unexpected income. So, um, so that's what I would say, test and prove, put these principles to work in a concrete, uh, step-by-step kind of way of what you're going to do and do it again and again and again over time. Surround yourself with people who think and feel this way and watch your life change. Beautiful. Thank you. Well, I'm certainly going to try that 30 day. Why not? Yeah, it's uh, moneyvibe.com, moneyvibe method, sorry, moneyvibemethod.com. And then just right there, you'll find it, but it's slash 30 dash day dash challenge. But just go to that website, moneyvibemethod.com. I think there might be a pop up on the site for, to sign up for the 30 day challenge. Great. Jackie, thank you so much for all this great insight, great information that I just pray will help so many people to get them into greater states of freedom, financial freedom and abundance. So thank you for what you're doing in the world, you know, your vibration and bringing these teachings out to so many people. It's just lovely to be your colleague. And I, I look forward to working with you again. For sure. Thanks again. Hey guys, thanks for checking out the Spiritual Geek Out podcast. If you like what you're hearing here, check out more by subscribing on your favorite platform or go to spiritualgeekout.com.